morning. Hope that you are having a good weekend and glad that we can be here together. Uh, we're continuing our series on the name of God this morning and appreciate the opportunity for us to continue to talk about it. Let's remember uh, one of those great Ten Commandments is to not take the names Lord in vain. Let's also remember what Jesus said as he's talking about uh, the, the praying to God and that we should make God's name hallowed or holy or we should hold it in high standard as we think about the name of God. What we've been talking about and thinking about in this series is what can we understand, what can we learn about this God that we follow through the names that are used for him in the Old Testament especially, but even into the New Testament. This morning, we're going to talk about two of them. And, and we read Psalm 23 earlier, and we'll be there here again in a few minutes if you want to turn there. We'll be going to a number of different scriptures this morning, so I hope you have your Bibles uh, ready for that. But we're going to talk about two different names this morning, Shama and Nisa, Yahweh Shama and Yahweh Nisa, these descriptive terms for this name of God. You'll remember that, that Yahweh in the Old Testament, God says, this is my covenant name. It's my memorial name. It's the name that I want to be uh, remembered by. And it's the, the name that means I am, uh, I, I exist, I am here, I I. I am here. I, I exist. And that's something that we want to, to think about. And again, it, it flies in the face of those who would not believe in a God where God simply says, my name, my memorial name, the name that I want you to remember me by is simply, I am. I exist. I, I am here. Uh, and we are thankful to God for that. But let's think about this morning, two different names of God, Yahweh Shama. And Yahweh Nisa, and we'll look at both of these. And as I said, Psalm 23 was read to us because uh, while the words Yahweh and Nisa are not used in this passage, the description or what these names mean are certainly expounded upon in Psalm 23, specifically verses 4 and 5. So we'll look at those and we'll, we'll consider this and think about again uh, the, the context of when these names were brought about and then maybe more importantly for us today, the application for us. What does it mean uh, that God calls himself by these names or that God's followers would call himself by these names? Let's start with the first one there, uh, Yahweh Shama. Shama, Shama simply means, uh, again, to, to be there. It holds with it the idea of, of being present or in the presence of God. And that's something that we can recognize throughout Scripture, that God has always wanted to be with his people. You think about the Garden of Eden when, when God was there with, with Adam and Eve. He wanted to be with his people. He created them. He gave them a special place for them to be. And we, we see a few different times where it talks about God came and was with them in the garden. He wanted to be there. After that was ruined, we, we also recognize that uh, once the Israelites uh, became the people of God, uh, you remember the wilderness wandering after the, uh, the exodus and the 40 years that they wandered around in the wilderness. God's presence was represented by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And when that pillar would move, what would the people do? They would follow it because they wanted to be in the presence of God. And it represented the presence of God. Once Moses was given the instructions to uh, create this, this tabernacle or this, this tent, this, this mobile home, uh, mobile tent home for Jesus, uh, that that would be where the presence of God would be. And it would fill the tabernacle. And whenever, whenever the tabernacle moved again, the people of God would move because they wanted to be with God. And later on, the temple, the, the presence of God would, would fill the temple and they would surround the temple. And that's where they would worship God. They wanted to be in the presence of God. And today, who is the temple of God? You as a Christian, I as a Christian, we are the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, this presence of God. 
we see that this, this first word, Yahweh Shammah, was used in Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35. So Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet, and, and during his time, he, the, the relationship between the Israelites and, and God is, is not good. And it even says in the book of Ezekiel that, that the presence of God, God's spirit, God's dwelling, God's, God's essence, his presence with his people, leaves the temple for a while during the time of Ezekiel because of their rampant wickedness. They were not following God the way that they ought to. They had moved away from God and therefore God moved away from them. He left the temple. But the very last verse in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35, I believe, Ezekiel 48 and verse 35 talks about a a new city for God's people being built. And he says the name of this city is going to be Yahweh Shaman. And that simply means the Lord is there. And that's, you know, we think about what it means to, what, what does heaven mean? What's heaven going to be like? We think about what does it mean to, to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? And in essence, what we're all trying to do is to be with God. Eternally, we want to, well, after this life is over, we want to be with God. We want to be in God's presence. And that is the essence of what heaven is or what the, the afterlife is, whatever that's going to look like. We don't know all the details. But we want to be with God in his presence, wherever that may be and whatever that may look like. That's what we are striving for. So this idea of God is with us. Again, that's what it talks about in in Psalm chapter 23 and verse 4 when it says, Yea, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why does the psalmist say, even though I'm going through this difficult time, this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is that? Because, he says, you are with me. Your presence is with me. This morning, what what valley might you be experiencing or might you have experienced? Yea, do I walk through the valley of sickness? Yea, do I walk through the valley of difficulty? Yea, do I walk through the valley of cancer? Yea, do I walk through the valley of stress in my marriage? Yea, do I walk through the valley of unfaithful children? Yea, do I walk through the valley of, of whatever difficulty you can have? The psalmist says, and, and the scriptures tell us, that we don't have to fear evil, even though we might have to go through difficulty, we don't have to fear evil because God is with us. God is with us. This morning, is, is that true in your life? Is God with you? There's this, this promise that, that God wants to be with us, that God desires to be with us. From, from the garden till today, God has always wanted to be in the presence of his people, or maybe more importantly, God's always wanted his people to be in his presence. But today in your life, are you walking along with the Lord? Tom, turn to Psalm 123. Psalm 1, sorry, 139. Psalm 139, let's read verses 7 through 12. Psalm 139. Verses 7 through 12. Uh, the psalmist here, uh, David is writing this, and it, it starts out as, in verse number 7, it's almost as if he's trying to escape the Lord. Okay, where can I go to, to hide from you is what it seems that he's saying. But then by verse 12, it's a comforting idea that I'm always in the presence of God. Noticing what it says, Psalm 139, starting in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence, it almost seems as if, where, God, where can I go to get away from you? Where can I go to, to hide from you? Verse number eight, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I, if I lift up with the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even though your hand, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will bruise me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So here, perhaps David, maybe perhaps like you at, at certain points in our life, we've if we're honest, we've tried to flee from the Lord. We've tried to, to hide from the Lord. What, why would that be? Why would that be? I, I saw a, uh, a, a skit one time uh, when I was young. I don't know if it was at a youth rally or it might have been at a, uh, something that I went to in high school. And it was this, this picture of this idea of, you know, I'm a Christian. And, and, and as a Christian, that means that Jesus is with me. That means that, that Yahweh Shama, the, the Lord's presence is with me. He, he dwells with me. He walks along with me. I'm trying to follow him and, and all of these things. But, but sometimes in our life, have there been times when, when we want to go places that Jesus wouldn't go? Where we want to go places where Jesus wouldn't want us to go? And, and in, in this skit, the way that it's pictured is that this, uh, this individual and, uh, you know, there's, there's two people there and, and one of them is, is just a, a person like me and you and the other one's representing Jesus. And, and the idea is that, uh, you know, the, the, the teenager perhaps wants to, wants to go somewhere that he or she knows that Jesus doesn't want me to go there. And, and, and the idea here is that I'm, I'm going to go to this place, and, but then I'm a little embarrassed because Jesus is following along with me. And I don't want Jesus to see what I'm about to go do. I don't want Jesus to see what I'm about to go do. Have you ever been there? Have you ever purposefully planned to go somewhere where you wouldn't want Jesus to see you going? And in the skit, they have this, this, this back and forth where the person gets ready to go multiple times and says, Jesus, you've got to stay here. I'm going this way. No, Jesus, you've got to stay here. I'm, I'm going this way. Jesus, you have to stay here. I'm going this way and you can't go there. I don't want you to see me. And then eventually in the skit, the, the person who, who's going to, to do whatever they, they shouldn't be doing, they, they take the hands of Jesus and they nail him to the wall. And they nail the feet of Jesus to the wall and they say, Jesus, you stay here. I'm going this way. Have you ever been there? See, God wants desperately to be with you. But you've got to allow him to be with you. God desperately wants you to follow Jesus all the way to heaven. But that means there's some places you can't go. Yahweh Shammah is this, this picture that God has always wanted to be in the presence of his people. And God has always wanted his people to be in his presence. But God has never forced either one of those things to happen. In Psalm 139, if, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go to get away from you, God? But then if I go to, to death's door or if I go into heaven, you're, you're there. If I'm going to this place or that place, you're there. And eventually it becomes not so much an, an escape, but it becomes a comfort. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because you are with me and your rod and your staff. They comfort me. They save me from the brink of destruction. They discipline me when I'm going the wrong direction. And while those things aren't always fun, those things are always good. God is with us. Then Yahweh Nisa is this idea of, 
of God being our banner. Look at what it says in Psalm 23 and verse 5. Psalm 23 and verse 5, it says, uh, David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. This idea here is, is a, a victory feast. It's you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The, the, the way that the wording is and the way that the, the picture would be in the Old Testament would be a, a victory feast, a, a, a feast that would happen after a battle was won. But what's different here is that the, the psalmist says, you're preparing this table before me in the presence of my enemies. The battle hasn't happened yet. We haven't fought yet. But you're telling me because of who you are that the battle is already won. That the victory is already won. And the way that this, this word comes about this, when we read uh, Yahweh Nisa is, is back in the book of Exodus when uh, Moses and the Israelites are fighting with the Amalekites. And you remember this story in Exodus chapter 17 starting in verse 8 uh, where Moses is up on the hill and he's got Aaron, uh, his brother and the high priest there and another man named Hur. And you remember when, when Moses holds up the staff of God and holds up his hands, the Israelites, the army led by Joshua, is defeating the Amalekites. But after a while, his arms get tired and as his hands lower, the Amalekites begin uh, to battle. And you remember how Aaron and Hur held up his hands and, and you remember all of that. But at the end of it, at the end of the battle, Moses sets up an altar because he wants the people to remember what God did. And it says he sets up an altar to Yahweh Nisa, the Lord is my banner. Now, what do we have today that would be kind of like that? In a, in a far less serious situation, we have favorite teams, don't we? We have favorite football teams or favorite baseball teams or maybe even, maybe even the American flag or something like that. And we think about the Olympics and, and, and they, what do they do when someone wins? Well, they raise the, the winning flag or the winning banner or there, or in sports, there's, there's pennants, right? Where you, you, you raise those up and they're the, uh, the, the winners of this league or, or that league. And the picture here is that Moses wanted the Israelites to remember is, you are my banner. And I proudly wave the banner of being a follower of Jesus. David put it this way in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, you'll remember this. And again, it's this idea that goes hand in hand with, with Psalm uh, 23 and verse 5, where you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that the, that the battle hasn't happened yet, but there's already this victory feast. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the battle lines of Israel, whom you have reproached. This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the camp of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that Yahweh does not save by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. This is that same confidence that we are supposed to have. That David, the, the shepherd boy, as he goes against Goliath, the giant, the, the warrior trained from birth, he says, you come to me with all, with all of that, with the sword and the javelin and your strength and your might, and, and you come to me with all of this, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, and this day I will strike you down. 
That's the, the confidence that, that David had that the battle belonged to the Lord. That's why he writes in Psalm 23 and verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My enemies are, are getting ready for battle and we're getting ready for victory. Christians, our enemy is getting ready for battle. And the Lord says, in him we have the victory. That doesn't mean there aren't battles to fight. That doesn't mean there aren't difficulties to go through. But what it means is you can be guaranteed to know that at the end of all of this life, of all of this difficulty, that there is a victory to be won. What would that be like if you knew your team was going to win? What would it be like if, if going into the, the championship series, going into the, to the big game, that, that you knew your team was going to win? Would you, would you put on that, that t-shirt that had your team logo on it? boldly and confidently knowing that your team is going to win would you put that flag out in front of your house knowing that your team was going to win would you post all over social media knowing that your team was going to win well christians while there are still battles to be fought and there's still difficulty to go through and to experience are you confident that god is your banner that god has won the victory for us. The battle, it says in First Samuel, belongs to the Lord. Jesus challenged us in this way in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. He says there in Matthew 10, Whoever will confess me before men, I'll confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I'll deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That's, that's the scripture that we can use for this idea of the importance of confession, but my question for you is, we think about Yahweh, Nisa, the Lord is my banner. Is how, how many people know that you're a Christian? How many people, in you, in, they, can, they can look at you, they can look at the way that you speak, they can look at the actions that you take, they can look at the way that you treat other people, and, and they know that you're a Christian because you are proudly displaying that banner, because you put your total confidence and hope and trust in the Lord. How many people look at you? How many, how many people know that you're Tennessee fans? Do they know you're a Christian? How many people know you're Braves fans or even Cardinals fans like John? But do they know you're a Christian? How many people know that this is your job or that is your job or they, they identify you in any number of ways? Do they know you're a Christian? Are you proudly displaying the banner of Christ in your life? Paul would say it this way in Galatians chapter 3. Let's turn over there. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through 28. I believe Evan may have used this last week as well, but let's look at it again. again Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through 28. Talking of Christians, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. This idea that as we confess our belief in Jesus Christ and we submit our lives to him as, as Lord of our lives and we're baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, that as we're baptized into Christ, we, we clothe ourselves with Christ. And again, 
You, you think about, you know, the big games coming up. Maybe you're going to the game or you're watching the game or, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's college football Friday at school or at college or, or just at work. And you're wearing, you're wearing your colors and people know, okay, well, this person uh, backs this team or this person backs that team. And they know that about you. Well, this, this idea here is that you clothe yourself with Christ. And that's, that's so much more than just wearing a Christian t-shirt, right? It's, it's you are clothing yourself with Christ. He is near you. He is in your presence. He is your banner and you proudly display him. You, you proudly tell people that you're a follower of Jesus. When's the last time? And I'll, I'll examine myself on this too. When's the last time in your introducing yourself to someone, you said one of the most important things about you is that I'm a Christian, that I follow Jesus. Surely you probably talked about, you know, well, I do this for a living and, and this is my wife and this is my children or, or this or that about me and, and I live in this town. When's the last time that in casual conversation, introductory conversation, you made sure to list one of the most important things about you is that you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus. When we become a Christian, we are to clothe ourselves with Christ. Or to put on that, that identifying marker that people should recognize there's something specific, different, identifying about this person. And that is that they are a follower of Jesus. This morning we briefly have talked about Yahweh Shama. He is in our presence. He wants to be in our presence. Another thing that I learned as, as, a, as a kid, probably a teenager, again, probably at some youth rally or from some youth minister or a parent teaching a Bible class or something like this, is, is this simple idea that you've probably seen before. If, if this, this podium represents where the presence of God is, as a Christian, I'm supposed to be right beside it, right? But in life, sometimes we drift away, don't we? Sometimes we, we get further and further away from God and our relationship with God isn't what it should be. Well, the question is, well, who moved? Did God move? If that represents God's presence. No, God didn't move. I, I moved. I'm the one who has moved away from God. I'm the one who has grown further away from God. God, God desires and, and wants to be in my presence. He, he wants to, to be something that, that, I, that I wear with, with, with pride and honor to, to know that he is my God and that I am his child, that I get to be a part of his family. But again, he's never going to force that on me. This morning, as we think about God wants to be in our presence, he wants us to be in his presence. God wants us to, to proudly display him that Jesus says, whoever will confess me before men, I will confess him before my father who is in heaven. That means one day when you and I stand before the judgment seat of God, you know what the, the verdict is going to be? You are guilty. When I stand before God, He knows everything. He knows whatever good I may have done. And he knows all the bad. And he knows some of the things that I think are good that are bad. He knows it all. And the reality is I stand before God guilty and unworthy and deserving of separation from him eternally. And the only hope I have of something different happening is Jesus coming along beside me and saying, yes, Andy is guilty. But he strived his best to follow me. He submitted to me as the Lord of his life. He has allowed me to be his banner. He has proclaimed me 
in his life to those around him. Jesus says, whoever will confess me before my Father, confess me before people, I'll confess him before my Father who is in heaven. We need that hope of Jesus coming along beside us and saying, yes, Andy, imperfectly, you imperfectly followed me and let people know that I'm a follower of Jesus. This morning, where are you at in your relationship with God? And again, if you're not where you're supposed to be, guess who moved? It was not God. It was you. But in that story, the prodigal son, what's the beautiful picture? That as soon as we turn back to God, God gets up off that chair on his rock and on his, on his porch and he runs to us. He sees us coming back. He sees the desire that we have to be back in our right, right relationship with him and he comes running to us. If you're a Christian this morning and you're not where you need to be, then make a change. Make up your mind to come back to God and know that he wants to be in your presence. He wants you to be in his presence and he wants you to proudly display him as the Lord of your life, so that you can have the hope of heaven. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have made it possible for us to be with you. Lord, I know that in the beginning, when you created the garden, when you created Adam and Eve, you wanted to be with them. And Lord, we see throughout Scripture your desire to be with us over and over again. So much so that you put on flesh and you came and dwelt among us. That you lived that perfect life. You died that horrible death and you rose again, giving us the hope of eternity with you. Dear God, help us to, if we're Christians this morning, help us to to humbly yet proudly declare that we are followers of Jesus. Lord, help us to do that right here amongst each other this morning. But Lord, as we go out into a world full of people who do not know you or do not follow you, help us to still proudly display our Christian life to those around us. Forgive us when we don't. And Lord, help us to stand up and try again every time we fail. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I hope that if you need to make a change this morning, that you're already beginning to make that change. And I hope that you know, if you're visiting with us or if you're here every single Sunday, and all the other times we get together, that you've got a family here at Jefferson Avenue who love you and want to help you, and none of us have it figured out perfectly. But we're all striving to follow Jesus every day. If you've got something in your life that you're struggling with and you need help with it, we want to help you. And we all have things that we're in life that we're struggling with, and we all need help. So let's be honest with each other about that, and let's help each other to the best of our ability. If you're not a Christian this morning, uh, God came to this earth and died for you so that you could be with him throughout eternity. If you're interested in knowing more about that, we'd love to talk with you about that. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.